Amen. Well, thank you, church family, for here's what that was. You were being the church. That's what that was. You prayed over people and watched over, and, and, and we, we've seen these graduates grow up, and um, man, it's a special day, an exciting day. So, and now you've got you to work out your knees a little bit, and you, know, you got you know, but here we are. That was worth it. Thank you, and thank you for Pastor Gage for, for leading us as well. Real quickly, and I know, hey, there's things to get to, and there's, there's stuff to do, but can we, can we have some time for the word of the Lord this morning as well? We'll, we'll, we'll do that also. But, but real briefly, I want us to get, continue on our journey in Mark. And in Mark chapter 7, we're getting kind of in, in the, the second half of it here, and Jesus has a secret. Did you know Jesus has a secret? That Jesus has a secret here in this story, the two stories we're about to read. And there's a secret here, and with this secret, he goes off by himself. And he doesn't even tell his disciples what's going on. Is, is apparently he's, he's not even with his disciples now. He's on his own, and he, he doesn't want anybody to know, and he's got this secret. And I'd love to tell you, to stand here today and tell you, oh, here's what the secret was. His problem is, his disciples weren't there either. <laughs> so we actually don't know what the secret is. But we do know some circumstances and details surrounding the secret. And uh, some amazing, incredible things have happened here. And so in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, let's pick up on this. And let's read this story. Jesus kind of gets away on a secret mission. And let's see what happens. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus left that place and went into the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know that he had entered a house, but he couldn't hide. In fact, a woman whose young daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard about him right away. She came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, Syrophoenician by birth. She begged Jesus to throw out the demon of her daughter. He responded, the children have to be fed first. It isn't right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. But she answered, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Good answer, he said. Go on home. The demon has already left your daughter. When she returned to her house, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. After leaving the region of Tyre, Jesus went through Sidon toward the Galilee Sea through the region of the ten cities. Some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly speak, and they begged him to place his hand on the man for healing. Jesus took him away from the crowd by himself and put his fingers in the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Looking into heaven, Jesus sighed deeply and said, Ephatha, which means open up. At once his ears opened, his twisted tongue was released, and he began to speak clearly. Jesus gave the people strict orders not to tell anyone, but the more he tried to silence them, the more eagerly they shared the news. People were overcome with wonder, saying he does everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who can't speak. The word of the Lord this morning. Um, Can I tell you I love this book? I love the word of God. And these two stories we read here are just fascinating, but they're also just two of many stories in Scripture of Jesus' power and faithfulness and goodness. And I'll tell you, I've devoted a, a lot of my life to studying this book and learning and reading, and you know, I'll never stop. And there are others who have come before me who thankfully are smarter and wiser than me, and they've studied this book, and they've shared what they have received from the word of the Lord. And the best way I've heard the Bible described is is this way. It says the Bible is a collection of unified stories that leads to Jesus. A collection of unified stories that leads to Jesus. In other words, all that the Bible says, even all the way back to the Old Testament, all of it culminates in Jesus. 
And so we don't just pick one verse from here or from there and lift that up above other verses. What, what we do is we, we read the entirety of Scripture and see the themes and recurring storylines. And one particular theme that comes up over and over again throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, is, is not that just God saves people. He does. And it's not that just God wants to deliver from evil, and, uh, but, but also give, give people a purpose. He does that as well. But time and time again, we see God reaching down and getting a hold of a particular person or group of people and working through mankind to save and redeem all of creation. And that is a radical, fascinating, kind of odd story that pops up over and over and over again. God could just do it by himself. He could save the world by himself. He, he could just miraculously do all that, reach everyone by himself. But he chooses, for whatever reason, in story after story, to reach out and say, hey, Noah, we're about to save all of creation from the evil of this world. You ready? Or he says, hey, hey, hey Abraham, Abram, I, I'm going to I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a father of a great nation, and that nation's going to be a blessing to all other nations. Or he goes out, and, and, and time after time, he finds Gideon, a coward, who turns into a mighty warrior. Or Samson, who has the great strength and, and delivers uh, God's people from, from the Israelites, or from, from the Philistines. And, story, and, and then David. You know, David was just the runt of the litter, it, it talks about in 1 Samuel, and yet he becomes the, the great king of Israel. And then eventually, you know, using Abraham's descendants, it's, these are God's chosen people in Scripture in the Old Testament. They are God's chosen people. And through them, they're supposed to be a blessing to all other people. And I, and I turn, one of my, one of my favorite verses is, is Isaiah chapter 40, 49. Isaiah 49, 6. And this kind of sums up this theme that we see reoccurring all through Scripture. Isaiah 49, 6 says, God says, it's not enough since you are my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the survivors of Israel. In other words, it's not enough that I'm just going to save Israel, God's chosen people. It's not enough that I'm just going to save you. You're in need of saving. You're, you're a mess right now. It's not enough that I'm going to save you. But he goes on, hence, I will also appoint you as light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And if I can skip to the, even the end of my sermon this morning and spoil it for you, that concept in Isaiah is, the same, is just as true today. God doesn't just want to save you from evil. He does. He wants to save you from evil. But he's not going to stop there because that's too easy. It's too light of a thing, it would say in Isaiah. That not just saving you from evil, he will save you from evil. But after saving you from evil, he wants you to be a light to the world. He wants you to be his hands and feet. He wants you to be his instruments of grace in this world. And the, the power of that. But then we get to this story that we just read. And, and did you pick on, there? This, this is weird. And I've wrestled a bit with this story. Because this story is Jesus, what did he say to that woman? That sounded rude. Did he call her a dog? She a female? Did he a female dog? What? What? What, what, does, what is he saying? The children have to be fed first. It isn't right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What? That at best sounds rude. <laughs> and what is Jesus doing here? And I'll tell you, it sounds so rude sometimes that 
theologians have debated on what was going on here. What is the meaning? And there is not one consensus on exactly what was going on here. But that doesn't mean I can't guess. I'll tell you this morning. There's a few different theories. Here's what I, part of what I think is happening. Is that Jesus wanted to get away and had this secret mission that we don't exactly know about, but, but he's trying to figure out what, how to live into the story of Scripture that God not just, doesn't just come down and save the world, but God works through his people to be the light of the world. And so maybe this story will help. I'm going to tell a story, and I didn't, I didn't prepare CJ for this, but she's a pastor's wife, and she gets this now. But as mentioned earlier, this, this uh, June 1st is our 10th wedding anniversary. And um, then, then we attended a wedding last night. And, um, you know, as we look back over 10 years, and I, we, we were talking about this and thinking about this, but, but even looking back even further, I want to go back to even about 11 12 years ago, something like that, when CJ and I were just kind of first dating. And at the time, she was living in Wichita, and I was living in Augusta, Georgia, South Carolina, right on the border. And I was a sports writer in Augusta, Georgia, and CJ came to visit. And I did something that I rarely ever did when I was a sports writer, as I took CJ to a game with me, and a game that I was working, that I was covering. I was probably trying to impress her, show her how I was a big-time member of sports media. So we went to a minor league hockey game. And minor league hockey game, okay, that doesn't sound too impressive. This was minor league hockey in Georgia. And minor league hockey in Georgia, those, the Georgia hockey fans, which is, there's not really hockey fans in Georgia, but they just go to see the fights, right, at the hockey game. And, and so... That's where we were. And, and so CJ came along with me, and that night, uh, I'll tell you, the, the attendance in the press box doubled because CJ came with me. Usually it was just, just me by myself. But I explained to CJ that there's a period of time when a sports writer goes into what I call deadline mode. And deadline mode is a very intense time for a sports writer. That is, I've got to hit my deadline. There is a certain time that I had back then to send the story, to write the story, send it in, and it get, and so it could be in the newspaper the next day, and of course you post it online these days too. But when, when the game's about wrapping up, and I kind of know who's going to win or lose, or, or you know, I kind of get the story in my head, I'm figuring that out, but then I've got to get the statistics and get the facts straight, I've got to get um, a storyline going, I've got to go interview players and coaches, whoever may be relevant, I want their opinion and thoughts and what they might have to say, and I've got to bring it all together, I've got to transcribe those so I get the quotes exactly right, and you've got to type, and you just got to type, and back then, I was pushing 95 words a minute, I just going and you're deadline mode and I'm you're triaging the situation and nothing else anything else that doesn't help me reach deadline and, and make deadline is just kind of pushed to the side now just temporarily but that's deadline mode and CJ said she understood so we're watching the game and, and we're there and having a good time and then the game comes down to the final minutes and I began to transition into deadline mode. 
So I'm watching the final minutes. I'm crafting kind of what this story is going to be in my head. I'm, I'm thinking about what stats and figures and all that and who I'm going to interview and what I'm going to do. And then game ends and I rush down to the, into the clubhouse and I interview the guys and talk to the coach and come back. And I'm, and I'm, I'm deadline's coming. I'm watching the clock, one eye on the clock. And I'm and then all of a sudden in comes CJ with her phone. And her phone, she puts it between my face and my laptop as I'm tick, 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 and just and she says there's a photo of us from earlier in the day and she says is this your favorite <laughs> I am in deadline mode I didn't even look at her I was just typing away tick, 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 and is this your favorite and all I said was are you kidding me right now? And I just, I just go back. And you could, I, out of the corner of my eye, I could, I could see her. Who, who is, what? I was in deadline mode. There was a purpose. There was a, there was a reason I was there that night. I'm not in that moment trying to decide the best photo to represent our relationship for the Instagram or whatever it was. And so she goes, and, and I go, and then I'm, I'm getting, and she goes back, and she's now reassessing her life decisions there in that moment. And I'm still in deadline mode. I finish my story. I turn it in. I hit deadline, because, of course, I always hit deadline. That's, I got that. And then we went out for, I don't know, ice cream or something afterward. I had, had a great visit the rest of the time, and the rest is history. Here we are, you know, 11, 12 years later. All right. We're, we're, we're still making it. We survived deadline mode. And I share that story to say here, Jesus is on this, we don't know why. We don't know why he's going into this house. We don't know why he doesn't want anybody to know exactly. We're not told all these details about this secret. But we, we know whatever it was, he didn't want other people to know he was there. Maybe he just needed a break. Maybe he just needed some rest. Maybe he was having a strategic planning thing and trying to figure out how do we continue the story of Scripture to allow others to minister and, and share, share the good news. Or planning the future ahead, what, where are we going next? Trying to, but it wasn't just to show up and, more, and, and do more miracles. And I wonder if Jesus was thinking, you know, I'm trying to save the world here. And I can't save the entire world if I'm always just focusing on only one person's problems. The larger mission is not just for Jesus to do it all, but for him to equip the disciples and his followers to also spread the good news. And for whatever reason, whatever the purpose of this trip was, it was not to just heal a couple dozen more people each day, because there were millions, and now there are billions to be won, to be reached. And I... Maybe just give Jesus time to think, time to plan, time to strategize, whatever he needs. And wherever he was, he thought, I need to go over here. I need to go to this house. I need to be in secret. I just, maybe I just need to think. And first things first, Jesus says, I've got to get these disciples and my followers and my chosen people heading in the right direction, and they are going to be a blessing to the whole world. And perhaps Jesus was thinking, I don't have time yet to deviate from the grand plan. But this woman, here's this woman, who was not part of God's chosen people. She was not a Jew at the time. She was a foreigner. And with humility, and, and even maybe some being clever, she just says, yeah, you know what, I get all that. 
but why not just a few crumbs for me over here? Just, just, I'll just take your crumbs, your leftovers. And so some people think Jesus was, he was testing her. He knew what was going to happen all along, and, and maybe. He was just testing the woman just to see what kind of faith she had. Or, or, or some say maybe, maybe she actually changed his mind. Maybe he was set on the focus and the vision and what was supposed to happen, and she actually changed his mind. And I, I don't know. And then, then we have this deaf guy, this guy who cannot hear, and Jesus, again, I wonder if he's thinking, man, if I heal this guy out in public, I'm going to have 50 deaf guys right here tomorrow. And it's, I, I can't focus on what I'm supposed to do here if I always have to be healing the next one person. And so he, it says he pulls him out of the public eye. He pulls him away and then does this weird wet willy thing where he's spitting and touching the ear and it's that was that was strange (laughs) but then he says open up open up and and not just open up but it says a deep sigh a deep and what is this deep sigh (sighs) does it feel like today you're in need of a deep sigh (laughs) and I think in that moment a deep sigh of not resignation, not of anger or frustration. I wonder if it was a deep sigh of, this is what matters to me. I really want this. This is the right thing to do. And also, maybe a little bit of, this is going to create more work for me. (laughs) This is going to create more drama, more delay. This is taking me off of the reason I took this trip in the first place. But it doesn't matter. Why? Because this is the right thing to do. And now I need to talk to the graduates today. First, I'm so proud of each one of you. This is an awesome day, and I hope every second of it is precious and rewarding and just fun. But I also know you'll get a lot of questions from some well-meaning people, friends and relatives, even parents who will say things not just like congratulations, but then something like, so now what? Or what's next? And you may be sick of that kind of question, and by now you've probably just got some type of answer that involves college or job prospects or something other than the truth, which is, I just want to sit on the couch and watch TV and, again, eat Chiefs Puffs or something. That's, that's my summer plans. Thank you for asking. But you can't say that. You can't say that. You, you can't say that. You can't say that. So you come up with something else. Yeah, there, there is a plan in, in the works. But maybe, I don't know, maybe graduates today feel pressure to have a plan, to already have things all figured out. A grand plan, maybe that's part of the pressure. And if we're not careful, we could do even more damage by saying something to a graduate like, well, you know what, time to go off and find yourself. Or go make something of yourself. Time to go discover who you really are. We use that kind of language with graduates. And when I hear that type of language, I want to say, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait just a minute. You're not starting with a blank slate now. You have 18 years of being shaped, of being formed, of being taught. 18 years of, of being, hey, here's the way to live. That you already have an identity in Jesus Christ. 
And part of your story and my story and our story, Jeremiah 18 talks about God is a potter and we are clay. And you would never say, hey, clay, here's a lump of clay. Can't wait to see what you make of yourself. You will always just be a lump. (laughs) But God is the potter who can form into a bowl, into a plate, into a vase, into a pot, into whatever purposes he may have for you. God is the one who will shape your life. And graduates, as your pastor, I'm not all that much interested in what you will do with your life as much as what God will do if you let him be the potter he has always been. Molding you and shaping and forming you into his good and perfect creation. And I believe this is why Jesus caught himself in these last two stories in Mark chapter 7. Maybe this wasn't part of the strategic plan. Maybe this isn't the most efficient way to spread the news about God's kingdom, just one person at a time. But Jesus was being shaped and was shaped by goodness. That he couldn't help see a need and meet that need. And that which was right in front of Jesus became the most important thing to Jesus in that moment. That strategically, logically, maybe Jesus knew, I need to plan, we need to figure this out, we need, we need this bigger picture kind of thing. Those are smart and that's wise to do. But not at the expense of the good that could be done right in the moment. And graduates, I will say to you today, I don't know exactly what the perfect grand plan is for your life. I pray, I just did pray with you that God would reveal that to you. Not a God who just gives you stuff, but a God who gives you opportunity and then you work and then you earn it. And whatever that big great plan may be, what I can tell you is do the good that is right in front of you. And it may even make you deviate from the big master plan for a bit. To say, you know what, here's the need. I see the need, and I think I've got this big, I've got to do this, I've got, okay, those are great, that's good things to do. But Jesus said, you know what, here's a woman right in front of me. Here's a guy right in front of me. I'm going to do some good right now. And maybe he was tired. Maybe he was spent. Maybe the, the, the grand plan hasn't been figured out just yet. But he did the good that was right in front of him. Graduates, whatever plans you have, whatever path you have determined, whatever goals you set, never stray from being shaped by a Savior who is working on a master plan. And at the same time, will stop and do good right where he is, even when it might not be a part of the big plan. And so how are we shaped by that type of Savior? We receive his grace. And that grace is available to every graduate. It's, a, it's available to every person here today. Because he can save us from our grand plans. <laughs> he can save us from cold, hard, strategic efficiency. He can save us from ourselves. But he can also call us to do good right where we are. And so in just a moment, we're going to receive communion. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread. He gave thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to it, and gave it to his disciples and says, drink from it, all of you. 
This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we receive your grace today in the form of these elements. And as we do receive, Lord, may your grace flow in within us to inspire us for your great master plan, but also for the good right in front of us, Lord. Would you provide opportunities for both today as we receive your grace? We thank you and we praise you. Amen.